Well, interesting to be here at this church. This is the first time I've been in, in your new building. It's beautiful, beautiful building. Great to see all you people here and to, to sense your anticipation of another new chapter. I also found it interesting to find out that the Stenstroms uh, worked at Rift Valley Academy. Well, my cousins went to Rift Valley Academy. The cousins, I don't know if, you, if they were there when you were there, but it was the Kellogg family. And uh, our cousins were there, so we went to Africa too because I'm a missionary's kid from India. And uh, we went to a boarding school in India as well, but I don't think it was as good a school as RVA, actually. Uh, we had some real difficulties in the Indian school, but RVA was uh, always presented as, as a really good place. And so, uh, Jim and your, your dear wife, you have been a part of that, that for a good while, and I just um, am warmed to see someone who's actually invested in missionary kids over there. So, let's see here. I've got a little gizmo that does the slides here. So uh, what we have here today, the message title today is Together in Reconciliation. And that's an interesting theme in reconciliation because when we look around our world today, we sure don't see reconciliation. In fact, in the news, we're hearing all about Black Lives Matter. And the images that we are seeing and the conflict between ethnic groups is just surreal. Who would have thought that in major cities in North America there would be scenes like this? This does not look like reconciliation at all. In fact, we have never in our lifetime seen such conflict between groups and such um, references all the time to race and identity and all those different things. It is it is a surreal experience to see this happening amongst us. And the question then is, well, what does the church do in a time like this? And if you've watched, looked around, you've probably recognized that there's been a wide range of response. Some churches are just going and joining right in with this and just saying, we are totally identified, this is exactly what the church is all about. And then on the other extreme, many churches just ignore it completely, like it's completely irrelevant, and that what we do in church has nothing to do with what's going on in the culture. And I suggest to you folks, neither of those responses is correct. And the reason I can say that is because this is not the first time that the church has faced ethnic conflict. In fact, if you have read your New Testament well, <clears throat> you will recognize that the church has wrestled with this ethnic division question way back 2,000 years ago. It was such a, uh, such a, uh, such a, what's the right word here? I can't, it was a weird experience for them. It was so weird that it almost split the church because there were very strong opinions on two sides of the question. Because the question that came up in the book of Acts is, what do we do with these Gentile believers that say they believe in Jesus, but they're sure not acting like us? 
They're not keeping the laws of our faith. They don't even have the sign of the covenant. How can they be saved? And in Acts 15, if you want to be looking in your Bible, you can just be scanning through there. You can see that this big controversy arose because within the church, there were people who were believers in Jesus, but they were also members of the Pharisees' tradition. And they were very firm about this. They were the conservatives of their day. They were the Bible-believing, the Bible-obeying people of their day. They stood up and they said, you cannot be a believer unless you behave like Jews. You must have the sign of the covenant. You must keep the laws that Moses gave us and believe in Jesus in order to belong and actually be saved. And they were firm on this one. And they stood up in a public assembly somewhere, something like this, and they had a great debate. And this brought them in direct conflict with Paul and Barnabas, who said, no, no, folks, you've got that wrong. All can belong to the gospel, because the gospel was not given just to Jews, but to all people. Yes, you are to believe in Jesus Christ, and later John would write the gospel that would put it in these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, yes, you got to believe in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. And then, Paul and Barnabas said, yes, there will be a journey of behavior that will come along. And they had this big debate there. And they concluded the debate when James stood up. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was known to be very conservative, very religious person. And he stood up and he said, it's my sense that we should not make the entrance into the, into the church, into the gospel for Gentiles, more difficult than what that needs to be. And he laid out four basic morality things. I, I don't have them written in front of me, but it's like, don't eat, uh, don't eat blood and refrain from sexual immorality. And there was a, just a few basic morality issues. And they concluded that yes, this gospel really is open to other people. And we are to welcome them in. And the, and the Jewish church at that, it was all Jewish at that time, when they, they brought, the, they welcomed the, Jew, the Gentile people in with this basic morality. They said, you know, you don't have to keep all the Jewish laws. You don't even have to have the sign of the covenant. But you're welcome in. Wow. Now that, folks, that meeting was the turning point which allowed the church to become good news for the whole world. Without that meeting, it would still remain a small Judaistic sect, a small group within the larger Judaism. But that meeting and that decision is what made the difference for the gospel for you and I. We likely would not be sitting here discussing these things if it were not for this meeting in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul took this up 
And he began to be this missionary to the Gentiles. And he spoke of the grand purpose of God. In fact, he wrote it in Ephesians chapter 1. The grand purpose of God. And it looks like this. And we need this background in order to understand the importance of Ephesians 2, which is my text for today. But we should look at this. In all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And you'll notice in this grand purpose that God has a plan. He has a will. And he is determined to carry out this will. It's a bit mysterious. It's been kind of murky in our understanding for a long time. We don't get it, but it gives them great pleasure to roll this plan out that works through all of the ages. And it centers, it centers around Christ. And the timing of all this is God's choice. And the ultimate purpose is unity. This actually is what predestination is all about. It's the destination of the plan of God. That he is going to be working tirelessly and eternally and endlessly for this reconciliation to bring all people into his family. And knowing this, we who are entering into this plan need to recognize that this is, and this is the way I love the way uh, the message writes this one. This is a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Christ. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. And he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to join him in this grand purpose done by his hand, and in a world that is so fractured by division and strife, this is really good news that it's possible to actually live together in unity. So how exactly is this grand plan going to happen? Well, here's now we finally get to our text for the morning. And I invite you to have your Bibles open. I'm good to see a good number of you do that. Have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. And as we look at this passage here, verses 11 uh, to 13 is the first paragraph, that there are, he, he acknowledges that there are typical human divisions that exist. Paul stepped right into the controversy of his day. And the controversy of that time was Jew versus Gentile. And it was a hot subject. The Jewish people identified with their ethnic origins with Abraham. They were people of Judah. The Gentiles, the Greek word is ethnos, which means we get our word ethnic from it. All the other ethnic groups out there are considered outsiders. And so there's this insider idea and outsiders. And the Jews inside despised the Gentiles as unclean, lawbreakers, not abiding by God's ways. And meanwhile, that attitude was responded back by the Gentiles, 
who despised the Jews because of their strange ceremonies and things that they would do. And there was this deep division between us versus them. That issue is still going on today. This whole racism that's going on in the news, it's all about us versus them. Black versus white versus this color versus that ethnic origin. And the, 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 the tension between the groups and the racism of today is reflective of the same thing that was going on in Acts. So how in the world can we fix this problem? Is it possible to fix racism? Well, Paul had a grand picture. The big purpose of God would also mean the way to fix this is to bring about a new humanity, a new kind of people that are born in Christ. And the primary identity of these new people is not their ethnic origin, their human origin, but their divine origin of being born into God's family. And anybody is welcome into that family. And it says, in fact, Paul would write in another place, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And this barrier between Jew and Gentile, Paul says, was taken down. And when he talks about the barrier, he talks about the wall of separation. You know, in the temple of that day, there was the, the holy place. And then there was a, a special wall that went around the temple that only Jews were allowed into. And there was a wall that separated the Jews there from the Gentile, the court of the Gentiles. And it, Paul is alluding to this, this wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And he says that Christ took down the wall and allowed the Gentiles into the court where only Jews were allowed. And it was exactly this issue that got Paul in deep trouble. A little bit later in the book of Acts, you just read it there, I think it's around Acts 20 and 21. Paul brought some Greek believers to Jerusalem, and the rumor was spread that Paul had brought those uncircumcised Greeks into the Jewish area. And the place, Jerusalem, erupted in a riot. And they almost lynched Paul on the spot. If it were not for the Roman commander who was watching from his tower over the whole, over the whole um, temple area, Whenever they saw a riot, the soldiers would come running out and with their swords and try and stop it. So they ran down, they found out it was Paul, grabbed him, and actually that saved his life. But he went into custody from that point on. He was in prison. And it was over this issue of bringing Gentiles into this religious environment of Jews. He stayed with that. In fact, he had to write his letters from prison. That's why we got this letter. But it was this issue of allowing Gentiles to come and participate within the church that, that resulted in his arrest and eventually his execution. So Paul laid his life on the line on this issue that all are to be welcomed in. And he said, here's how we're, we can do it. We, have to, we can have a new community 
Look at the verses there, verses 19 through 22. And he uses metaphors. He says that like we're, we're citizens of a new country. And then he switches metaphors. And he says we're like, we're like a spiritual building. And God is using all kinds of people, the Jewish people and the Gentile people, all as special blocks in this building that's held together by Christ. So you can see Paul's vision here is acknowledging that there are natural human divisions and there's problems that just are part of human existence. The only way that racism will be solved is if we come to a new humanity, a new identity in Christ, and that we recognize that it's the building of everybody together in reconciliation that is where God dwells. That's what the temple's about. God dwells in his temple, and we are the living stones of it. So this was Paul's vision. So the question is, how did it turn out? Well, keep reading the book of Acts and his letters, and you'll recognize that Paul was dogged by religious conservatives of his day who tried to undo everything he was working for. As soon as he would go and establish a church and then leave for the next one, these people would come to that new little church and say, oh, by the way, you got to keep the laws. You got to do all this. You got to do all that. Got to keep these rules, and you got to become Jewish in order to be saved. And it was a, a point of intense pain for him that his fellow Jewish people did not get it didn't understand that God loves the world, not just Jews. He loves all. But he's come through the Jewish line to be able to present it, his gospel, to the world. And now we are, <clears throat> 2,000 years later. How are we doing? Ethnic conflict all over the place, still there. There are some exceptions, though. There are some groups of believers that truly do welcome all, and they don't look at color of skin or background. They don't even look at their lifestyle. They just welcome people. And they are identified together in Christ in a new way that is beyond the normal human ways of identity. And there's been examples of that. However, if you know your history, if you've read it, you will know that there are two horrible things, and then three. But I'm going to talk about the first two that have happened for 2,000 years. The first one is, anti-Semitism has been ongoing for 2,000 years. And it's still here. And it's the world over. And it's violent. And it's unceasing hatred of Jews. The second is the persecution of Christians. Christians are persecuted the world over. And through history, they have been maligned and murdered in ways that are just horrendous. Why in the world is that so? In fact, this very question came to me when I was studying in Israel and had done a history about the Jewish people and recognized for the first time how horrendous this hatred and how world over it's been. 
And I remember praying, saying, Lord, what? What in the world is this about? Why is there such incredible hatred of Jewish people and Christians? And I remember, I don't remember how it happened, but it, the, the, the word came to me, look at Revelation chapter 12. And when I looked at Revelation chapter 12, there's this picture that, Paul, that uh, the writer of Revelation gives. Now, the book of Revelation is a, a metaphor or a picture. And all the diagrams or metaphors within, within uh, the, that book are intended to be very dramatic and very symbolic. And it talks about a woman that had 12 stars in her crown who was about to give birth to a son. All the commentators know the woman is a picture of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel about to give birth to the Messiah. And it says there was a great red dragon. And he was waiting for that child to be born because he was going to kill that child. The child was born, but was whisked up into heaven. And the red dragon was enraged. And at the end of chapter 12, it says he went to make war on the people of Israel and those who believed in the testimony of that child. Jewish people, Christians, are the object of the great red dragon. The devil hates Christ. The devil hates this idea of human beings actually flourishing and being together. The devil hates Israel for being the portal through which God came into human existence. The devil hates people who believe in Jesus. And it dawned on me, that's why this anti-Semitism and this persecution of Christians has such an evil feel about it. There, there's a darkness to it that's unbelievably wicked. But there is a third horrible thing I have to tell you about. And it pains me to have you tell you this. But down through church history, the church has also persecuted the Jews. And this is horrendous. The people who have been welcomed in generously into the covenant of faith with Abraham have turned, in many places, have turned against Jewish people. And the church has a very mixed history on this one. And it's, it's a horrible thing to contemplate. However, there's always been a faithful remnant. Just like in Israel, there was a faithful remnant. And now there is a faithful remnant within the church today which does not participate within this horrendous, thing, horrendous um, ethnic division and hatred of Jews. So, what do we do? Here we are, 2,000 years. I want us to take it back to that, that vision of Paul where he said that Jesus the Messiah is eternally and tirelessly bringing everything and everybody together to reconcile them to his Father. And we are fellow participants in that process. So, you know, we're not going to fix anti-Semitism. But we don't have to participate in it. 
we can stay out of that, we can stay thankful to the Jewish people for having stewarded the Bible all those years so carefully. We have our Bible because of Jewish people and the way they so protected those scriptures. And we have the, the privilege of the gospel being preached to us now because of them. So let's stand with those Jewish people, even if they're imperfect, because we're imperfect too, right? So standing with Jewish people does not mean endorsing every single thing they do and everything they believe or everything the state of Israel does. Of course not. But we're not going to stand in hatred. We're not going to join anti-Semitism. We're going to stand in solidarity saying that there is, within Christ, there is this, this, this desire to bring people together, to reconcile, because it actually says at the end of that chapter there, uh, chapter 2 that we were talking about, that God needed to reconcile both Jews and Gentiles to his Father. We all need reconciliation. We're all broken. But exactly, folks, how do we do this? It's great to have this theory or this vision. How? So let's get down to how maybe we today can do this. How do we bring reconciliation between natural divisions? Well, I suggest we start with our new identity in Christ, recognizing that it's our connection with Christ that is the common ground, and that we don't see people as ethnic groups. We see them as sons and daughters of God, fellow brothers and sisters, that we look past color of skin and we see a person. We look past even gender. We don't see men and women so much as we see the person that's within the man and woman. And even the gender confused. Can we see the child of God that is in within that person there? Because yes, we need healing. We all need reconciliation. And let's just acknowledge that, that we're on a journey. And so is everybody else. And we can bring people into a fellowship where they are welcomed. Like Jesus welcomed them. Remember what Jesus did? When he came, one of the big criticisms against him was that he was a friend of sinners. That he was making them feel welcome. He was going to the meals with them which was a no-no in Jesus' day. He was known to be with people who were not the best of the crop. In fact, he picked 12 disciples, and many of them were kind of like, eh. One of them was considered a, a defector from Judaism. He was a tax collector. He was a guy working for the Roman government. Jesus picks him to join him. And then he picks, like, fishermen. I mean, these are not educated people. These are not the best of the crops of the day. He picks ordinary folk. And he's demonstrating in the very 12 that he picks that he is welcoming everybody, not just the best of the best, but everybody. And he makes them the foundation stones of this new temple that's being built. These ordinary people, you know, that is very good news for us. We're ordinary people. We're not the best of the best. We're just us. Some of us are kind of strange even. But you know what? He loves you. He says, come on in. You are welcome to be a part of my kingdom. And you can believe in me 
and we'll work on the behavior in time. And you, you, we know Paul did this. He had this welcoming, opening arm. In fact, if you look at his letters, have you noticed that the beginning of his letters, he usually says, you know, greetings to so-and-so saints in the whatever city. He begins his letters by calling them saints. That means you belong. He talks about Jesus, and often in the latter part of his letters, he's talking about behavior. The behavior comes later. He says, we'll work on that. If you are really in Christ, and you are, then there's certain things that just come naturally out of that. And so he talks about behavior. So it is in that order in the New Testament. Everybody's welcome to belong. Our common way of understanding each other is through Christ. And we work on that behavior as we conform ourselves to the image of Christ. And you know, this issue is still the issue of the church today. Do people have to behave in a certain way in order to be welcome? Or can anybody come? And as they come, are they welcomed? Are they invited to meals? Are they just part of the fellowship? As they get to know Christ, and over time, God works on how we behave. That is the question today, all over the world. And how we do this is we focus on Jesus. We don't get into the details of the fine points of theology and doctrine. Those are all secondary things. We don't have divisions over things like music style or generational differences. Those are such minor things that should never bring division. But what we want to do is enter into this grand purpose that Christ, first of all, demonstrated, and then Paul picked up, and the whole New Testament is written on this whole assumption that all are welcomed in. But this actually began even earlier than the New Testament. Because we know one fabulous story in Genesis chapter 18. We can have that slide come up. Genesis 18. Um, Abraham was sitting at his tent and he saw three strangers coming. And he saw them coming and he ran to meet them. He didn't ask them, are you with my tribe? Are you like me? He didn't check their doctrine. He just said, welcome. Can I make a meal for you? And he put out a banquet for them. And he had no clue that it was actually God visiting him. Ladies and gentlemen, let's look to the stranger and recognize that it might be God working here. God might actually have something for us from the stranger. And we're going to welcome them in. We're going to spread a table of welcome, a table of good things, of good news. We are entering, folks, into a, the, the plan of God from the time at the very beginning. Let's be the people of God who live in reconciliation together. And so, Father, we are warmed when we realize that you have been up to this plan for centuries, millennia, and that it is your 
determined goal and destination that you'll bring all things and all people together, reconciled to the Father, and that the entire cosmos is the gift that you present to your Father. And we live in that hope and in that reality today. And Lord, I pray that that will infuse Prairie Tab and any other church that you have, that we will be people who welcome the stranger, who give them a banquet table, and let your love transform them.